Greg's beans, breakfast, crisps, pornography, and some chat about golf as well. It's the RACDG official podcast. I'm Gary. I'm going to be joined this week by Crawford. Rob's not going to be here, and it's pretty telling. He's usually the one that keeps these things on track. So Crawford and I just kind of talk nonsense for an hour and there there's some sort of like really really slim structure where we talk about the upcoming RACDG 2021 schedule that's just been released we also look ahead to the Masters Tournament with RACDG's resident betting expert and Mr Crisps Aaron St Pierre we'll be bringing back Flock 5 where we look at Crawford's top five golf courses in the world and I'm in there somewhere as well with my top five lockdown winter golf training tips but before all that it's the housewife's favourite we get straight in there with Grunt's hot take of the week so uh, without any further ado for the third time and probably the last time after listening back to this take it away he's out with a driver now now I'm not sure this is right would somebody kindly it's Go and stop him. Give him a large brandy and pop him down. No, this this really is beyond a joke now. He's, he's, he's gone gaga because this is uh, this is quite... I've never seen anything like it before and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness. Have you seen a worse golf shot? Don't answer the question. It's terrible. This could be good. Come in. This could be good. Looks better than it is, folks. Not bad. Yes, hello everybody. Welcome on back. This is episode three of the official RACDG podcast. My name, as always, is Gary. And this week we're not joined by Rob, who unfortunately can't make it. But as always, after another day's golf on his president's schedule of champions, I'm joined with Mr. Crawford Anderson. Dylan Crawford, how the devil are you doing? Not too bad at all, guy. Not quite as grumpy as last week, so you'll be glad to know. Really uh, something that puts all our hearts and minds at rest. Uh, before we get started, before we get into this, there's obviously quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of news happening today. There's been a discussion point, there's been uh, a few things going on that's really, it's not only dividing the flock, it's dividing the world. Um, it's not really something that we would usually hang our hat on or pick a side or anything here because there's, there's so many people that we could offend. Uh, there's so many people that we don't want to offend. But I think with, with, with an issue as big as this, we do really need to talk about it off the bat. Crawford, is it Heinz Baked Beans or is it Branson Baked Beans? Oh, it depends who you're talking to. <laughs> What's who, are we talking about Grant's, uh, Grant's take of the week? <laughs> so so it's been funny because obviously since we did that last week um now everything grant our grant says has um has taken on i think more added and significance uh since uh since he started it we're always wondering if this is going to be the one the, the take that's going to get us that's going to that's going to enter the uh the podcast but still the other day so we, i don't know it was, there's a conversation in the in the group as the group often does, of just talking utter nonsense. And uh, we get into a discussion about who makes the best kinds of beans. Um, and out of, you know what? It wasn't even that. It was out of nowhere. He just put a photograph on of a can of beans. <laughs> and he, he'd put the lid of a coffee jar, like a plastic lid of a coffee jar on top of the beans and said, lads, this is a proud, game changer. Proud as punch. Proud as punch. <laughs> this, is, yes. this is a game changer. And I was like, first of all, like, it's actually not a bad idea, to be honest. I'm like, I looked at him like, that's all right. And then I thought, 
Who the hell only eats half a tin of beans? That's it. That's the key point there. That's the key point. It's not looking at the Scotsman being tight. It's not looking at why would you put in a picture of a tin of beans with a coffee cup cover on it. It's not asking the question, the follow-up question, what's covering your coffee? It's asking, who who, who doesn't... What's he covering the coffee with? Because he's going to cover the coffee with something else and then that's going to leave something else in the fridge without a cover on it. And it's just, it's, it's a deep dark hole that you're getting into. You, you're, you're circling the plug at that point. He's, you're circling he's the robbing drain. Peter to pay Paul, Gary. He's robbing Peter to pay Paul. He's, I know, terrible idea in hindsight. Uh, sorry, it's a good pun. And the other thing, exactly as you said, Crawford, who who opens a tin of beans without finishing them? That was the real question on everybody's lips. <laughs> So then he says, um, so we started the conversation about beans and what makes the best kinds of beans. And he says, and this is this is my take of the week, Branston beans are better than Heinz if I'm splashing out. <laughs> so there's a, lot, there's a lot of stuff to break down there. First of all, I wasn't even aware that Branston made beans. I've never had anything Branston did other than pickle. Having said that, a lot of people have come in and said that they happen to agree that Branston beans are the business. So I might have to check those out. Um, but then the bit that got me is... If I'm splashing out, <laughs> so <laughs> so I decided in the in the interest of um, looking after our our most cherished member that I would go and give do a bit of research and help him out. So I went online and uh, I had a look, and it turns out that uh, Morrison's beans, which is the can that he had put the uh, the coffee cup top on top of, Morrison's beans sell at seventy three point two pence per kilo on the Morrison's uh, website. And Branston beans sell at one pound and twenty-two pence per kilo on the Morrison's uh, website. Now that is Ladies a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, this is the Royal and Ancient uh, Company of Dishonourable Golfers Golf Podcast that you're listening to here. Please carry on with uh, the cost of beans. <laughs> That's right. So the, the difference in cost between one and the other is forty-eight point eight pence per kilo. Oof. So it turns out that um, should Grant uh, decide to carry on. Uh, eating his Morrison's beans, and every time he thought about splashing out on a tin of um, Branson's beans, uh, that he should not do that. Because if he was to, to stay and stick with the Morrison's beans at 48.8 pence per kilo, that would take uh, <clears throat> just um, 10,245 kilograms of Morrison's beans in order for Grant to save enough money to buy his £5,000 kitchen. Now, 10,245 kilos is only 24,990 active individual cans of 410 grams of Branston beans. So just under 25,000 cans of beans, Grant. And uh, if you were to save those times, every time you were thinking of splashing out, then you'd be able to have your kitchen that you so desperately need and actually buy yourself a new cooker that doesn't try to set fire to your house. <laughs> I knew he was a financially financial advisor, but I didn't know he was yeah, a bean, I, I, I thought as, well. as, as somebody somebody who's who's a money man, he would appreciate us trying to sort of these are the kind of language that Grant understands. Cold hard financial facts. Big Grant is a, a Scottish financial advisor. That means you are tighter than a mouse's waistcoat. And I'm glad we got straight into that. And I think what that almost does is just covers uh, Grant's take of the week. The grunt for Red for Red October. Um, so Grant's take of the week is out of the way. I don't think there's anything worth adding there. Um, it's incredible in a group in a golf club, a supporters club, uh, with about 175 people currently in it. Any time a, a discussion about politics or a discussion about anything contentious comes up, 
we're usually met with the blowback of, can we not talk about golf or something? Please come on. But when the conversation of beans and breakfast came up, it was a it was a full pile on. It was a full English pile on. It was wild. Um, well, there's, and there's, there's nothing that the English in general prefer more than a conversation about beans as opposed to politics. <laughs> Keep your politics yourself, but let's get into the beans. What I find incredible is the lack of education in England um, <laughs> about breakfast, not in general, <laughs> because up here in Scotland, uh, there's a few staples of the fried breakfast, one of them being black pudding, one of them being potato scone, tatty scone as it's known up here, and one of them being little fried circles of haggis as well, which are just part and parcel of the uh, the, the fried breakfast package up here in Scotland. But in England, there's there's very little. And they, 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 they put fucking fried tomato, fried tomato in there. A fried tomato. Uh, no, 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 here's it. So I, I understand what you're saying here, Gary, because where I come from in Northern Ireland, we do an, an Ulster fry, which also has um, potato bread, as we call it, tiny scones, same thing. Although uh, ours are square and yours are sometimes round. But um, uh, and then we also have soda bread, which we both cut in half and deep fry. Uh, and then we also have some toasted soda bread on top of all of that. So it, it also fries is, is a specifically wondrous thing. But um, uh, the until about two years ago, I genuinely did not understand the point of a tomato, uh, a fried tomato, and a fried breakfast. And I used to, and I used to just tell people to take that scum away from me. And then a while ago, I was so hungry, I, I had to eat it because I wanted to eat something. Um, and then suddenly, the fucking revelation, I realized that the fried tomato is the single most important part of a fried breakfast. Ah, uh, you which, need your heart which, right check. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. No, seriously, honestly, what I've discovered is that the fried tomato has a kind of acidity to it that cuts through all of the fat and the grease of the rest of the breakfast so when you eat the fried tomato you know after you had a fried breakfast sometimes you get like a weird scummy mouth about half an hour later fried tomato gets rid of all of that so that after the fried tomato it makes the rest of the breakfast more enjoyable for longer after you've eaten it but that's what breakfast beer is for <laughs> what's breakfast beer is that what you call scotch in glasgow scotch now come on we paint the tenants uh, alongside the fry but look We've talked a lot about breakfast there, far more uh, than I intended us to at the start of this. Um, and slightly more kind of sobering topics. Um, there's not a huge amount of golf uh, planned this week to talk about because uh, lockdown, of all things, is back upon us, especially uh, down in England anyway, a little bit in Wales, a little bit in Ireland. Not quite up here, um, but for the majority of guys listening, lockdown will be here for the next four weeks. So before we get into the topic too much, uh, I've gone away uh, and I've recorded a top five winter lockdown golfing tips package for you just to kind of keep your guys' heads up above the water over the next four weeks, give you a few little nudges in the right direction when it comes to keeping your golf game sharp over the next month. So Mark's going to play some snazzy music in here, maybe something a bit more techno like you, like you did with the, <laughs> the World Handicap system last week, <laughs> a little bit of Ibiza sunset, uh, and then we'll get into the top five tips. So take it away. Hi, Gary here. Winter can be tough. It's cold, it's dark, it's lockdowny, you're skint, and there's not much golf. You have to do all the tough things in life, like spend quality time with the family and be not at a golf course. However, there's plenty that you can do to stay sharp over the winter period, and I'm here with some of them just now. 
So here's my top five winter lockdown golf practice tips to make sure you start next season in prime position. Number one, anytime you catch yourself in a mirror or a window reflection, stand side onto it and check your position at the top of your backswing and kind of just like move it and wriggle it about slightly until that single split second snapshot is perfect and nothing else about the swing matters. Hold that for five seconds and then get out of the way and let the next customer into Greg's. Number two, anytime you're out on a state sanctioned walk with your family, ensure that you're appreciating the time spent with them by completely blocking out everything they say and design your own golf course with the surroundings at hand. While this is better suited to the countryside, it's still beneficial to your game placing a green complex at the entrance of Dixon's or a lateral water hazard in the middle aisle of Aldi. Nothing is out of bounds. Number three, anything is a putter if you're willing to adapt. Number four, contrary to popular and commonly accepted and factual medical advice, improve your flexibility and range by not stretching or exercising. New research is showing that your muscles have a limited number of stretches available and that every stretch that you do uses up a stretch, just like the cuffs of a jumper that you've rolled the sleeves up off that never quite settle back into their original shape around your wrist. Don't turn into a saggy sweater. You don't need to warm up when you're always a hot piece of ass. Number five, watch lots of golf and television. This is part of your training. Close your eyes and imagine you doing the shots that they're doing with the same swing. Then, when a player misses a putt, exclaim loudly at the television that you would have held that and that you could have gone pro 18 if it wasn't for your fucking committed politics and the lure of Sandra sitting beside the puggies and Weatherspoons, making you miss early Saturday morning tea times. This is positive reinforcement that will heighten your chances of holding the same putt that these overpaid pampered mugs can't. Then go do it. It's as simple as that. If you can see it, then you can be it. Keep these five helpful tips in mind and before you know it, it will be March all over again and you can say goodbye to your family, social life and responsibilities and return to your real home where everybody knows your name and secretly resents you because you've got really good. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. The guy is very informative. Obviously, some things there I shall definitely have to try. You made that sound like you listened to it before. Um, that was very good. Very good acting. Like we're, we're, we're nothing if not professionals here, guys. The joys of editing, eh? Uh, but no, for serious, so what we're probably going to do here, uh, first couple of episodes we did very... Uh, <laughs> loosely use the word comedy there but carry on based um but talking about lockdown it's it's been you know a pretty difficult time for a lot of people the first lockdown especially um but i think what we did find from it um in terms of positives was that the club the society whatever we're calling this here was a, a great sounding board for people it was a great kind of um just a place for guys to come when they were feeling bored, when they wanted to talk about golf or anything else that was getting them. And for a lot of guys that were maybe feeling a bit frustrated uh, or feeling like they didn't have people to talk to, I know a few guys are feeling even just a bit lonely uh, through the first lockdown and they had the group uh, to come and talk to people. So what, what I kind of did uh, before we were going into the second lockdown is I put a little thing out in the chat the other day uh, and I was just asking people to drop us a message about maybe the best achievements through the first lockdown, the things that they were doing during the first lockdown to keep them to keep them going, to keep them motivated, to keep them relatively happy, um, or what kind of things they had planned for the second lockdown as it was coming in to 
to kind of achieve that same thing. So while I look through my phone for all of those messages that have come back, Crawford, um, first lockdown for you, what were kind of the things that I suppose got you through it, kept you positive, kept you motivated? And again, looking forward to the next four weeks, what kind of things are you going to be looking at to keep spirits high? Um, it was mainly pornography, Gary. Um, an awful lot, an awful lot of pornography, <laughs> and I just me looking at pictures some links jams. Um, uh, I, um, you know, you know what got me through lockdown the last time? Um, buying head covers um, or thinking about buying head covers. I mean, that poor guy up in, poor guy up in where was it? The, the Crofters Cottage in South, fucking Lewis or something. But his delivery schedule went from a fortnight to about fifteen weeks after <laughs> after we all discovered him one day and passed the passed his name around. Was it named Black Douglas? And um <laughs> fucking angry Douglas after a day of us. Where the fuck are these guys coming from? I can't make that many head covers. I've got a job to do. Um anyway, I um I you know, the big thing for me and I think this is just in like a in general is um I think people can live with an awful lot, but they can't live without hope, which is a very grand statement for saying something very, very banal. But when it comes to porn there, and then you went into hope, you just, you know, porn hope. (laughs) I'll tell you the reason why, Gary. Usually the hope's gone by the time you get to porn. I I may be married for 15 years and may longer, I no longer have a sex life, but there has to be hope, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) And the porn keeps it alive. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but when you get uh, just talking about the golf specifically, you know, when you can't get out and play, um, and uh, and that's depressing and, and 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 horrendous, particularly when you're still spending money on your on your membership. Uh, at least being able to plan golf days and being able to plan what you're going to do whenever you are allowed to go out, uh, it keeps you going. And there's an awful lot of planning that happened. I mean, a lot of before lockdown. We had had the shot in November. We had done a McKenzie Cup. We had one planned coming up in April, which didn't happen. And that was it. Those are the two events that we had in this group before lockdown. By the time we came out of lockdown, we had the Conquer the North. We had the Kaluna. We had the entire schedule worked out um, and uh, and never really, never really looked back. So there's an awful lot of... Thing. I kind of wonder now in this next lockdown what we're going to come up with next because there's an awful, not an awful lot of space left on the schedule. You say that and what I'm going to do here, much like a lot of the uh, pornography that you're probably watching, is I'm going to easily slide this little topic. And do you think to... golf, board, golf porn is a thing? Like as in like, you know, porn with golf? I mean, surely that must be a niche market we can tap There's a lot of things about shafts and stiff and rough and <laughs> There's a lot of puns to be made there, but I'm going to rise above I it. I don't think Dave here would like it, though. He's not in girls. <laughs> but when you're talking Anything to do about... with girls in golf, he's like, no, not having it, no. <laughs> when you're talking about, eh, obviously, the, the mad kind of schedule that has come out of pretty much nothing, and, and it has been because at the start of last year, as you said, eh, or the start of this year, it feels like a few years, um, we had a couple of events, and then everybody's sitting twiddling their thumbs when things are okay, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Now we're at a point where we've pretty much got a tour schedule. There are legitimately, 
there are legitimately golf tours that don't have as wide and varied schedules as we've got for the next year. So not only really that, right, Gary, but I, I can guarantee you this: the Euro Pro Tour schedule they have in, in England every summer is not playing at the list of golf courses that we are. Well, that's it. When you've got a group of real golf perverts who know their golf, they play at all of these amazing courses and quite a few of them are members of these amazing courses and they've got ins for us to get there. Um, you end up with a pretty phenomenal schedule. So I've got that in front of me just now. So let's run through that just now. Um, our captain for the, the coming year, Grantly, put this together for us. So it's looking like we're, we're going to have our four quote-unquote majors uh, as they are. And then we're also adding a couple of World Golf Championships that tier just down from the majors. So you get into next year and straight away in March, we've got 24 people uh, heading up to Glen Eagles Kings course. Uh, that's one I'm organising. That's just a one-day event. But I've no doubt by the time we get to March, it'll be a two- or three-day event on the Glen Eagles Kings course. Thinkle and, and get some kind of uh, team event going there. We'll split the 24 men down to two, lots of 12, and uh, get some matching outfits and maybe do a little losing Gary versus winning Gary, um, winner takes all sort of thing, put my soul on the line. And then we get to April, the McKenzie, um, which run through the McKenzie for us, Crawford, for anybody that doesn't know what that is or might be interested. Uh, yeah, so it's um, uh, it's the first event we ever did. Uh, and we, It runs during Augusta week, um, either the week before or the week afterwards. Uh, that's the plan. And we did it first time at... Um, in Leeds at Allwoodley and Moortown because they were the first and second golf courses that McKenzie did so that's what we called it the McKenzie Cup uh, and then for a bunch of reasons we ended up deciding to do it at St Andrews this year and then had to postpone this year to next year uh, so this year it's going to be because it's St Andrews it's the big one so everyone has got his, there's like four and 48 people now booked in to yeah. do that uh, so it's a lot and it's going to be um a big splash out. So we're doing the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. We've all got a three-day links ticket and we're all playing on the new, the Jubilee and the Castle. And then it's a kind of Dun- Dunhill style. Everybody plays those three courses. You're accumulated um, stable for a score at the end of the three days to see who wins. Um, but the links ticket allows you to play unlimited golf. So although we're booked on to one of those courses every day, uh, the rest of us, you know, in the afternoons or in the mornings when we're not playing the main event, we'll go off and play another Another whole, another course will be thirty six, and then we've got a couple of golf um, days booked around us on the Monday. A few of us are playing North Berwick uh, on the Friday. Some of us are playing some other courses, um, and uh, and then we're all kind of have lots of get-togethers. We're also there the same week that we are there is when the official No Laying Up Scotland trip is going. So an awful lot of the guys that you kind of recognise in the refuge uh, are going to be there that same week, assuming that they can get here and there's no quarantine and COVID has done one by then. Um, and uh, so that means there'll be like 80 of us running about St Andrews and the Dunvegan and Jiggerina in the evenings um, and some of those NLU guys are going to come and play the fun rounds that we play as well um, and, and play some golf with us um, so that'll be uh, it's going to be a big one like a kind of week long festival of golf in, in Scotland and you kind of hope that falls in round about that time where coronavirus decides to do one and that is the kind of that's the coming out party, isn't it? That's everybody yeah. fucking emerging from the caves of lockdown and getting together, having a big old cuddle party if we're allowed to touch each other by then. And like That's it. this this could be kind of the, the first stage, the first stages of the first steps of things getting a little bit back to normal. That's going to be incredible. I was one of the Definitely. first ones signed up, one of the first ones paid for it. And then 
selfishly, my wife got pregnant and the due date is the day before the McKenzie Cup starts. So we'll play that one by ear. Gary's, Gary's not very good at counting backwards from like nine months from, from April. And uh, he, sh- he should have put it away, but instead... I'm really, really looking forward to welcoming my second son into the world. I really, really am. But my... Uh... And, and I assume you're going to call him Mackenzie? <laughs> Um, that's up for debate or, or Alistair I'm, I'm still trying to get Tiger signed off yeah I was going to say propose Alistair and don't tell her why I'm going for a Rick Shields Henderson as the uh, the current I don't know what you call it the current winner but yeah due, due to that I, I'm likely going to miss that but fear not because there's another like seven events through the years so we'll move into May and we've got what we're calling our Players Championship and our man Russ is going to be hopefully hosting about another 52 flockers, 42 flockers, something like that, down uh, once again at Woodall Spa, where the cock of the north was last year. It's not going to be this year, um, but hopefully another, as I said, 42 down at Woodall Spa, where um, I think that was like the first event after the first lockdown this year, where a good group of flockers got together. That's where a lot of people met each other, shook hands, didn't shake hands, bumped elbows, asked if they were there for the cock, um, made lots and lots of dick jokes and uh, had a great 36 holes of golf as well. So that's going to be brilliant in May. Then we move to June, the Kaluna Cup. I believe that's where the uh, title of the Heathlander will be back up for grabs once again. And that's been moved to June at the Berkshire, if I'm right. Uh, so Crawford, a little bit on the Kaluna. Uh, yeah, so um, that's the one that was... Mark, who's um, not saying anything but very patiently listening in the corner of this podcast because he's recording it and and editing it for us. Uh, Mark came up with this idea over lockdown um, to play 36 holes at Sunningdale and we call it the Kaluna Cup because Kaluna means that is Latin for um, Heather or it's part of the Latin name for Heather. Um, And we did it at Sunningdale this year so we want to do another uh, another 36 hole course uh, on Heathland around London. Uh, There are kind of three of those, the Berkshire, uh, not the Berkshire, the Berkshire, uh, if you aren't from up north, uh, and went to a proper school, uh, and then Sunningdale and Walton Heath. So we're going there. Um, should be good fun. It'll be another 36 holes. Are the blue and the red there at the Berkshire? They are, have you ever heard the story of the Berkshire? Do you know that your Berkshire used to be the Royal Berkshire? Have you ever heard this guy? I haven't. Is it Podworthy? Yeah. Yeah, so it used to be the Royal Berkshire and the uh, Prince of Wales was the patron at the time and he went down for a game, uh, had a good round, really enjoyed himself, had a bit of crack with the caddy, gets back to the clubhouse, invites the caddy in for a beer and uh, the the you know, captain of the club says, you can't bring him in, he's, he's not allowed in, he's a caddy. And the Prince of Wales says, yeah, but I want to buy him a drink. And he said, well, he's not allowed in. And he said, yeah, but I'm the patron of the club. I'm the fucking Prince of Wales. And the captain says, I don't care who you are, he's still not allowed into the club. <laughs> so... So the Prince of Wales takes him down the local for a few, has an afternoon getting steaming with the caddy. And then the next day, a letter turns up from the palace saying you are no longer the Royal Berkshire. And they're the only club that's ever lost its royal status and they've never got it back. You know, golf, golf always on the uh, pulse, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Was he wearing a hoodie as well at the time? Put that in 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 your dress code, pipe and smoke it. It's a little bit more friendly now, I have to say. You don't have to, you're allowed to kind of go into the clubhouse now. Yeah, fuck me. Um, so, Kaluna, we've got that bonus story on the Berkshire. 
And then we move on to, I think, August, and we go back to the Cock of the North. Um, so the full month of August will be the time to make dick puns. Um, but we're going to Moortown in Alwoodley, which is where the very first shot, was it the first shot or the first Mackenzie um, uh, was held? First, it was the first Mackenzie. It was the first get-together we ever had. And back then, there was only about seven of you? There were, yeah. It was um, uh, George Brown, myself, George Brown, Mark, uh, Giles is in, in uh, Spain. They came over for that. Um, Alan Martin from Scotland, um, Matt Wave, and Grantley, and a the friend OGs, of mine called man. Brian. The OGs. That's it. When you get you guys in a t-shirt, the, or something like the, that. The, like fan, the founding fathers. So that will be uh, in the end of August. I think we're trying to make that on the bank holiday at the end of August as well. So that could well be an absolute bonanza. And then we get to the shut. Uh, which we've just had in the past couple of weeks there. But that'll be in October, and we're taking that to Wales this year. So, Royal, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even going to pretend I know how to say this. Por- Porth Call? Porth Call? Yeah, Porth Call, Porth yes. Call. Porth Porth there. Call yeah. There's me presenting a golf podcast, being able to see the names of clubs there. And uh, Pennard, Pennard, um, whatever, get over it. And that will be arranged to avoid being held over the half-term week. So it's looking like, again, we'll have the opportunity to get Look, for all of these events, we're talking, what, between 40, 50, 60 guys turning up to each one six yeah. times through the year. I think it's fair to say we've got a the few sh- maniacs. Yeah. The shut's going to be the biggest one. It's our kind of, because it's the annual championship. The idea is that you kind of want anybody who wants to come to the shut is able to come. Again, because of the time of the year and because they're private clubs and when we can get tea times, um, we can get like 60, 80 people out in one go. So most of these courses now, we're having a dunhill it. So both... The Coke of the North at Albury and Moortown, you'll do half the group playing one day, half on one course, and then and then half the group on the other course, and then they swap round and then meet afterwards in the bar. And it'll be the same at the shut. So we'll have we're actually staying in a hotel uh, in Swansea, which is between both of those courses. Um, and, and this um, is the the joy of the group as well. People always come into this group uh, and they're quite quiet to begin with, and then they start letting out little bits of information about what they do and where they work and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, you find out there's people that can get you ins at the inns uh, that know the ho- yeah. work at the hotels or know the hotels quite well and stuff and then all of a sudden you're trying to cram 60 people into four rooms or something like that in these hotels yeah that's right so we had a flocker who turns out uh, works at a hotel in Swansea Lucas works at a hotel in Swansea and he holds his hands up and he's like guys I can get you a pretty sweet deal here and he has indeed got us a pretty sweet deal and the hotel's in the marina in um, Swansea so we should be well looked after and it's good to know people but that pretty much covers the main diary um, as the year goes on, we're going to end up with some events over in Ireland. I've no doubt about it with the Irish boys. We're going to end up with some more events up in Scotland. I think there's a, an event in the northeast of England at Gosick, um that's also yeah. in the works just now. So there's going to be. So that's Jeff's organising the Jeff's organising the King of the Castle, which is at um, is Gosick and um, Bamborough Castle, uh, which is just on the northeast coast between. Um, New, uh, Newcastle and uh, Berwick on Tweed in the border um, Bamber is a kind of famous golf course They're kind of a Lynx but it's right on the coast um, a bit of a quirky course uh, and yeah that's going to be a two day event up there I think that's in June um, at some stage um, that's a bit of a WGC up there there's also the day after you do the Glen Eagles thing um, there's another trip to North Norfolk to Sheringham and Cromer that, uh, that Rod, Rodri is you're, um, you're going to try and go to both aren't you I am. <laughs> I am, yeah. I'm thinking what's wrong, what's wrong could, with you? What's wrong well, with th- you? <laughs> I'm thinking that if I fly up to Scotland the day before Glen Eagles, play Glen Eagles, then get to the airport, fly back down to London, and then the next day I can drive out to Sheringham, 
uh, or what I might actually do is not come home and not tell my wife that I have arrived home in the south and then just go <laughs> straight up to straight up to Norfolk. So you're flying to Scotland in early March with the hopes of playing a Parkland golf course? Yeah. That's bold, mate. That is very, very bold. Here's um, the thing. I've, I've always wanted to play um, Glen Eagles. When I was a kid in Belfast, my dad, um, you know, used to run a publishing company and... Uh, Every year they used to do a trip to Glen Eagles. Uh, and I remember it really vividly. Like dad every year would kind of go off and be away for a few days uh, and then come back with a hangover and spend a couple of days in bed um, feeling sorry for himself. And so it always had this kind of mythical thing for me that Glen Eagles, this amazing, great, the best hotel in the world and, and over in Scotland and I've never that, been. So I've, things, I've see, been to the about, hotel but I haven't played golf there. The thing about golf in Scotland, obviously, uh, is all about the coasts and the links. And it's all, you know, the magic of North Berwick, the magic of St. Andrews, Troon and everything. It's as easy. Um, these courses just kind of plotted out there themselves uh, and they're not parts of what you get maybe down south in America, these big complexes, these big resorts and stuff. You kind of go nomadically. You go up to St. Andrews, you book your rounds all over the place, you stay in an Airbnb, you stay in a hotel or something, you kind of bounce through the town and it's like its own self-contained little Disneyland. But Glen Eagles is kind of the only real one in Scotland that's set out like that big resort, huge hotel, really good practice facilities, driving range practice area, a little nine hole par three, and then it's got the three big, very, very good golf courses at it. Uh, hang, hang, on, hang, hang on, guy. It has two big golf courses and then some other <laughs> nice nonsense that they made for the PGA, for the, uh, the Ryder Cup. <laughs> some Jack you know Nicholas horror show. I was going to get to that, right? I played the Kings for the first time last year, and me and all my naivety just thought, this is the this is the second course. This is the baby brother course. This is the course that the people who stay in the hotel just jump onto for a knock round. The Kings, probably for my money, is the best Parklands course in Scotland. The layout is phenomenal. There's not a dull hole at it. Everything's quirky, a few shorter holes, a few very long par fours, reachable fives, par threes, huge plateau greens, upturned bowls, all that sort of thing. There's loads and loads going on. Lovely halfway house. They do a great steak pie and sausage roll, which is nine tenths of the full experience for me. So you know what, guys, we should we should just put down a note that at some point we need to do a podcast, which is just about halfway food. house food, just food, just halfway house food, clubhouse food, and where's the nearest Greg's to the golf course? I wouldn't know because <laughs> oh no 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 right okay I forgot about that when I said that right there but you and this is talking point. I, you know, the main talking point I had down was a serious discussion about mental health, but I'm going to flip that on its head a little bit and say, Crawford, I heard that you've never had a Greg's before. What is wrong with your mental health? I just, I, I don't remember, I don't remember ever having been in one. But have you ever been in one? Do you like no. servants that go and... Not that I, <laughs> not that I, I just never really wanted anything in there. I don't. I'm not a huge breaded products guy. I, I spent eight years um, not eating any wheat at all. I kind of went off it for a while. Have, you never, a, have you never had a steak bake? No. A chicken bake? No. A festive bake? No. A sausage bean and cheese melt? No. A sausage roll? No. A vegan roll? A yum yum? No. No. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just none of those things. I mean, I, I don't. I don't generally like sausage. I, I sometimes, if I find a sausage roll that's nice, I really like it. But I genuinely don't like sausage rolls. I find them greasy and horrible and tasteless. Um, 
And um, I just, it's every time there's nothing in Greg's that I walk by and I'm thinking, oh, I really want to go in there and get that. Um, <laughs> my, my wife is looking at me over the top of her, the rim of her glasses and her eyebrows raised saying that is bollocks. My wife and I, uh, during the last lockdown, nicknamed it the year of the scone. Out of nowhere, I discovered that scones are yummy and with like with cream and jam on them. Never had them before. And uh, we had them for, do you remember it was VE Day? We made some scones at VE Day and I'm like, fuck me, these are delicious. And then we, we went on a bender, like a scone bender. We were eating like six of them a day for the entire summer. Got to the point in July and August, I'm like, I've got to go cold turkey on the scones, babe. I please, can't eat any more of these. Please tell me when you were having scones on VE Day, you made a little sign for all of the uh, veterans saying, V-Day, scone but not forgotten. <laughs> oh, Sorry, that, that, took, that took a lot of set up for a really bad <laughs> con. I do apologise. Rob goes away for a week and we've spent a good 30 of the 40 minutes talking about food. But I think this yeah. is really important, Crawford. Before next week, your homework before we record the podcast next week, is you're going to go to a Greg's. You're going to get a sausage roll, a chicken bake, and a steak bake. You're going to sit down, you're going to eat them, and your life's going to change. And you're going to come back here next week and talk to us about it. That's your homework for this week. Genuine question. Do I need to get any immunisation jabs before I go into Greg's? <laughs> Maybe in some of the ones in Scotland. I think where you're from, uh, they'll be a little bit more upmarket, but... Please do that. Come back to us. Give us a, a full debriefing. Um, you're not going to... Uh, uh, wait, are they shut? Are they shut? Luke Greggs? Yeah. I don't know. Takeaway food, though, isn't it? Right, okay. So, Luke, it might be the only thing worth leaving the house for in the next week is a steak bake. We were watching Matthew smash burgers into his face in fucking five guys. Okay, so we'll move away from breakfast and beans and Greg's Crawford and we'll actually talk about some golf on this golf podcast there. So uh, you and quite a few of the flockers were out and about today. Should have asked you about this right at the top of the podcast, but I'll ask about it now. Um, last day before lockdown, you guys capped off pretty well. What were you up to? We do, we played the Chiltern Classic today. So um, there's 16 of us went out to a place called Ashridge, which is... Um, just to the kind of northwest of London, um, and uh, organised by one of our members, a guy called Sam, um, Sam Allison, and uh, it was called the Chilton Classic because we all had to play without metal woods, um, so we had to have persimmon in the bag, and if you could, then at least try and play with a couple of blades as well. So Sam is, you know, during lockdown, while I was watching interracial hardcore um, Gorian porn. Um, uh, Sam was was looking at at old fashioned persimmon golf sticks, um, and he's got a massive collection. You were both looking at different types of wood, basically. <laughs> exactly, Gary. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, so Sam's into um, like he's got a collection of just old persimmons, and not only does he buy them, like he goes on eBay, finds his old things, buys them. He has like a bit of a workshop. He's pretty handy with his hands, um, which is interesting because some of the porn that I was watching, the guys are pretty handy with their hands too. Um, but um, <laughs> the, 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 the correlation here just keeps growing. Um, like a lot of other things that I saw. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. This is the worst episode we'll ever do. We've talked about Greg's and porn. It's literally Greg's and porn. And beans. It's, we're talking about greasy sausages and Greg's. <laughs> I, I <laughs> So anyway, um, to get back to the golf, Sam... Um, We're talking about goo-filled pastries in Greg's. <laughs> so, 
So uh, let's, let's try and finish this goddamn podcast off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yep. out of here. Crack on. Before it, before it turns into something disgusting. Um, so yeah, but, so Sam doesn't just buy these things. He buys them, buys them and then he restores them. He takes them all apart. And he has like a workshop and um, he'll kind of, you know, sand them down and re-varnish them and get, you know, new new parts for them and then rebinds them, gets new shafts for them. And he has this whole collection of of um, of stuff. So we went down today to Ashridge and uh, I'd never been there, so I was, really wanted to play it. Um, regarded as the best golf course in Hertfordshire. And as I live in Hertfordshire, it's uh, one of the places that I haven't been to yet. Uh, so we had a breakfast uh, break and roll and then went up to the... Um, and all gusty, it was a gorgeous day. Like there wasn't a breath of wind, there wasn't a cloud in the sky the entire day. It was a beautiful kind of autumnal day. All the trees are all kind of golden and leaves falling on the ground. And went up to the um to the practice range and then Sam got his collection out and then basically let us we just grab whatever we fancied and just have a wee hit with it. Um so I took a driver and a three wood and uh, an old Hogan Apex four iron blade which literally was not as big as a golf ball. It was tiny. Um, but I had to go with a few of them and I, and I felt okay. And then uh, threw them in the bag and everyone else did. But that, that bit of it was really fun. Like all of us just sitting there, having never hit these things before, just grabbing a couple of clubs and having a wallop and seeing with it, how it felt and what, what we fancy doing. And then wandered down. We actually started on the 10th and uh, I absolutely melted one down the first the, the, down the first hole like it was one of the best swings that I've made in the entire year and interestingly the end of the day everyone's like so how'd you get on you know because I thought I was going to play well because I was really good with that That it was the only shot that I managed to hit with that club in the entire 18 <laughs> holes I, I put trajectories on that ball that I have never seen before <laughs> it went backwards spirals you know up in the air um, and, uh, it was but at least you've got an excuse this time. That's it. it was absolutely at least you've got an excuse. But it was just really, you know, sometimes it's like it's really good fun to go and to play, you know, a kind of competitive golf with your mates. Like the shot last week, we're all trying to put a score together and, you know, uh, and play well. And then sometimes it's really good fun to go and do the opposite and just have a bit of crack. And because none of us were taking the score that seriously because we were playing with a bunch of, you know, clubs we don't normally play with, um, it was just really chilled out and relaxed uh, and fun. And, you know, I, things like I, you'd be in the rough and I'd try and hit a three wood, like an old person in three wood out of the rough. That's not a shot I should ever try and attempt, but I'd give it a go because I didn't really care whether it worked or not. And Christ, the sound of those things, when you hit one and you crack it out of the middle, the sound of it just echoing off all the trees around you is awesome. But that's what we need to embrace, I think, in golf. And I think that's what everybody should maybe look to do in 2021, especially if we're in a position where we're maybe appreciating being able to even play golf a little bit more, as golf can very much become medal play and being very protective of your handicap. And every time you go out, you want to play to that handicap because you want to show people that you're as good as that little number. Mm. Rather than, like, how fun can golf be when you go out with, like, weird clubs or play weird types of games, weird scrambles... You just mess about, have a putt here, have a chip there. Like golf can be really, really fun. I think me especially last year when I was playing to try and drive my handicap down, down, down. You forget that it's actually fun, uh, and it doesn't have to be a grind all the time. It doesn't have to be grinding over four footers for par six, seven, eight times around. Yeah. You can go out and just fucking enjoy it. Absolutely. I mean, and and a bunch of us decided to kind of rise to the occasion and get dressed up. So I had a pair of cords and a 
and I, I had a, like an actual shirt and tie and a cardigan. I don't know, mate. I, I seen a I seen a video of you and it was pretty demure by your standards. That was, it was pretty low key. <laughs> by well, it wasn't. I mean, it was it was it was you know sensible colours. Um, but um, yeah, I had. But when I turned up, I had a trilby hat on that I'd found. Uh, and then I had like a tweed jacket, but I'd taken the jacket off for actually playing golf. Um, and uh, but then Pete turned up looking resplendent as usual in his plus fours and a, and a Pete cap. Pete Chapman, the Heathlander. I'm going to make an apology for last week because last week I made a remark about Pete looking like he was uh, turning up to the golf in fancy dress. I'd like to revise that statement because I've seen videos and pictures of him playing golf, and he could he could literally play off 36. And I would still want him in my team every single time because he looks very fucking cool playing golf. I've no idea how good he is. I don't know what his swing looks like. I don't uh, care. Dude, he looks like he's ripped straight out of GQ magazine. I tell you, his swing is buttery. He won. He won today. So he's now he's the first two-time major winner in the RACDG. He's a, he's a fucking um, big game hunter. He, he is, yeah. yeah definitely rises the occasion. He's got, a, and that's the thing because he wears all he, like the clothes, the, the plus fours now when he comes to play with us. And um, but he's got this kind of Hogan esque, like beautiful tempo, kind of lovely, buttery swing that it just works with. Like he has these when he finishes the swing, he has this kind of perfect classic pose that just looks like with the plus fours, this great silhouette. And then he just yeah, he plays out of his skin when it's a competition. On the word, but like realistically, you can't dress like he does and turn up and shit the bed. Like no, if you are going to dress like that, you turn up and you play uh, and you win. And you make everybody else feel like a prick for not wearing plus fours. Uh, absolutely, um, I think he's, he's kind of. I think he's enjoying it with the group because he knows that he can turn up dressed like that, and, and we all think it's cool. And we're asking where he got his plus fours from because we want some. Nobody's looking at him going like, the "Fuck, are you doing, dude? Weirdo! I don't want to be seen." You. That there are some courses in Scotland and round about the Central Belt specifically. If he turned up looking like he looks. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of good working class plumbers and electricians and that sort of stuff <laughs> that would maybe wrap a five iron around his head. So <laughs> I would maybe ask him <laughs> to, to maybe let the hems of his trousers down if he was playing up in yeah. Glasgow or whatever. But especially if you went for, out for what it's worth, if, I think it's class. Especially if you went out and absolutely hammered them on the golf course as well. Exactly, exactly. He dresses like that and he can back it up as opposed to me who looks like shit and plays like shit but at least I'm consistent with that Um, next week talking more golf we're talking the Masters this is the first time I think in three episodes of the podcast that we've actually spoken about the professional golf game Um, but the Masters is coming up and I had a lovely chat earlier this evening uh, with Mr Crisps himself Aaron St Pierre Mr Crisps sorry Mr (laughs) Crisps is now Aaron's name (laughs) you know know how Shotgun Star has has these like names the, the, the nicknames they make up so now Mr Crisps is Aaron so I was I was chatting to Mr Crisps um, at the behest of John Arshad gave me a text in the middle of the week um, and says this is your man to talk about Masters betting tips so we did exactly that so again Mark's going to play us in with a lovely little jingle here and we've got about 10 minutes of talking with your man Aaron then when we come back we're going to run through CAD's Flock 5 Top 5 Golf Courses but for now quick 10 minute chat with our man Aaron It's a brutal game and we're all a little fragile and we all feel for him.
Okay, so we're back, and at this point, Cad has left the room, and I'm really happy to be joined by the golden wonder kid of the RAC DG, uh, the betting master, Aaron St-Pierre. Aaron, you're in Spain, you're on a family holiday, and you've, uh, for some reason, agreed to take the time out to join us for 10, 15 minutes here to talk about Masters betting. How the hell are you? I'm good, but I'm good, enjoying the sun, and uh, just never too far away from Betfair, as always, so I don't mind taking the time. Definitely a problem, but it's a problem that we want to delve into uh, today. So, <laughs> we're going to be looking at the Masters next week. We're going to be looking at some odds, some bets. Why should we be listening to you? What have you got uh, up your sleeve and what sort of experience you got in the game? To be honest, Gary, you shouldn't. But we'll we'll try and come up with some excuses as to why you should. Uh, so, I've just been a golf trader for the last 10 years, really. Done a little bit of work for a company called Mustard Systems, who are a sports betting hedge fund. Um, so basically I was given a few million pound there to try and turn into a few more million pound by betting on golf uh, was basically how, how it worked right, we'll, 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 we'll talk about the odds later right? <laughs> how, 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 like, how, how do you get to a point where somebody just goes like here's a couple of million pounds crack ahead <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, what, it's what Mustard Systems does mate they do it with all sports really they do it with basketball, cricket they hire uh, well, they hire well into sports where people know what they're doing and they know what they're going on about, and people that can model sports in a way that's predictive. Um, and then they punt a few million quid into various betting accounts and just let you have at it and try and make some money. So, back to my main question how do, how do they give you millions of pounds? Like, what does that feel like when you've got like millions of pounds sitting on your hoop and you need to make? something magical happen with it yeah it's a bit weird mate to be honest I took the job not really knowing what it was I'd been a golf trader around the industry working for like high street bookmakers like Coral um, people at Univet etc and then I interviewed there took the job thinking it would be the same as them which was basically just supplying odds for punters to come on a bet on like me you Mark anybody CAD you can just rock up open up the website and you can have a bet and you just offer the odds to those customers um, whereas what I didn't realise was, is I was actually going there to trade real, like their money and try and run it as a hedge fund and run it as to make a profit, which was very interesting and much more up my street. <laughs> so one minute you're standing there at the side of the 12th green trading crisps, <laughs> handing over <laughs> frazzles for chipsticks and the next minute you've got millions of pounds riding on your essentially your decisions on what's happened with a golf game yeah pretty much that's mate. Wild. That's that was wild. pretty wild yeah it was pretty nice so basically with all the pressure you've had on your shoulders and your actual job um this should be a piece of piss so the <laughs> masters masters coming up next week first of all we'll start very simply here favorites where do you think the money is going where do you think the good money should be going who's looking likely to to kind of make a splash at augusta this year I guess the obvious starting point is obviously Bryson with the, what he's doing this year and the noise he's making. Um, obviously, he's, for me, and what the model says for me now is he's the best player in the field. Uh, but I handicap him quite massively in terms of the style of course that Augusta is. So Augusta predominantly is a second shot golf course for most of the holes where Bryson isn't gaining many shots on the field. Um, obviously, he is in a sense because he's closer than what everybody else will be. But he still doesn't hit it to much closer distances from the hole. 
which is where you you basically that's your bread and butter around Augusta. You can hit it anywhere, as Phil's shown over the years, etc. You can hit it in the pine, you can hit it in the trees, and you still get a shot to hit it close. That's part of the beauty of Augusta. Um, so yeah, for me, I've handicapped Bryson quite a lot, and it makes him a pretty decent lay. So I'd be taking him on quite at current prices. So currently he's at nine point six on Betfair, which is where I'll be taking prices from this evening. Uh, and I make him closer to 13, to be honest. So it's a it's a decent decent lay of a few percent margin of value. So is that is that worth putting anything on? You're talking a hundred and odd man field. You're talking between 10 and 13 to one. Is that do you think that's worth going anywhere near, or is that one of the ones you go? That's the favourite. Um, I'll maybe wait to Friday, Saturday, and see if that's worth lumping on. Yeah, so that that'll be my biggest lay of the week for sure. So he'll be the the biggest red number in the book. He'll be the biggest loss if he wins next week. Then that'll be me packing up for a little while and uh, probably walking straight into the sea and not coming back out again. Um, but we we shall see how that goes. Hopefully, it the doesn't difference end between well. McCoy's and Tesco's own brand. Mate, and <laughs> <Literally>, <laughs> can, can I upgrade to M and S or not? Is basically the decision <laughs> that we make next week. Um, so yeah, he'll be the biggest the biggest loser next week. The biggest lay for sure. And then obviously Rory will be every, one everybody's talking about. I know a lot of people are saving him for one and done in the group, and you know he's their their big runner to. I think Big Dave Easton's on for a bit of dough from the no laying up one and done. So shout out to Rory's him. A, he's going Rory's, well. a, Rory's a funny one though because he's done nothing, absolutely nothing since the return to golf from lockdown. But you'd Correct. still, you'd still, and obviously he's he's shat the bed many, he's left many a brown <laughs> stain on the bed sheet of Augusta. So all that being said, you're still regarding him as one of the one of the kind of top two or three guys to look at oh absolutely yeah I mean he's still up there I mean for me he's he's the second second to third biggest layer of the week but he's still the sort of fifth fav in my book uh the market have got him at third favorite at the minute which is a bit short for me so again he'll be another lay just like Bryson um again for me I think where he was once upon a time like back when he contended around here and when he was winning US Opens by however many shots it was at silly scores he was a predominant like a massive second shot golfer that's where he was gaining all his shots although he could hit it so far off the tee he's just stiffing it to a foot every time when he's got a wedge in his hand whereas obviously he's not doing that anymore so I think there's still that fallacy around his game about him being that second shot golfer that he no longer is so we'll be taking that on next week for sure we have had quite a lot of questions in uh, from members of the flock, and one of them uh, just coming in at the moment, I, I think, is from a, a, a Mr. R. Emerson in Ireland. He's asked, I don't know if you'll be able to shed any light on this, what time is Rory out at, Aaron? It doesn't matter, mate. He's not winning no matter what time he's out. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell one Rob thing, from me. One thing that will be uh, pretty interesting at Augusta this year is the weather. Totally different dynamic with the weather going into a mid-November um, Masters, and it's look. I was looking at some reports earlier on, and it's looking like they might be getting fucking typhoons and all sorts of wind, rain, storms, and stuff coming in. If it gets like that, if it gets windy, if it gets rainy, if it gets cold, how does the dynamic change? Who are you then looking at at that point? See, that's kind of what I've tried building in early. It's hard to build. Weather plays a big part in the model, but it's hard to factor it in as a massive factor this early on. But obviously, I've tried to account for a bit of that. It's hard with Augusta as well because obviously they've got the sub air under the greens, so they they could still be quite quick and firm, despite everything else being really soft. So 
you in that instance you would imagine that people like Bryson etc do gain a huge advantage where they can still bomb it 350 and all the short hitters can't run it around Augusta like they normally would like Isaac Johnson's and so on hitting those little low hooks and getting the run that they would normally in you know April where it's nice and firm you'd imagine they struggle a bit more because they're going to be an extra 50 yards further back from where they normally are and they could still be hitting into some very firm greens which will be really interesting to see just how much they do crank up that sub air because that could get wild if it's if it's firm from 250 firm, yards out and windy <laughs> could be very interesting will you offer me some odds on um, how soon into the telecast if it is really windy that one of the commentators say Augusta wind at Augusta or make some sort of <laughs> gust based pun because it came to my head there and I'm sure somebody like Butch Harmon will uh, will peter out with that bad boy as well if there's um, anything I've learned Gary it's that nobody makes puns like you so I'd it's... imagine that it's not even come to mind but I really hope you send it in to Doherty or someone and he, he plops it into a nice bit of sky coverage somewhere I'll be going straight into the WhatsApp chat and as long as I get two, <laughs> two quote tweeted laughy cry faces then my work will be done here that's um, basically my entire <laughs> <laughs> my entire group chat is just that so I, I can assure you I'll be there for that Gary not a problem it's all about the emojis um, looking at some outsiders then I've covered a couple of the favourites no surprises there on the names that came up but the Masters does tend to throw up a couple of outsiders guys that maybe don't do much um, throughout the year but because they're playing that same course every single year um, they do find their way climbing up the leaderboard so who are you looking at in terms of the outsiders who's a good each way bet um, who's worth a top 10 any other thoughts on that side of things Couple of real, real outsiders that I like. One's Jason Kokrak. Obviously, he won the CJ Cup. But... Fucking all in, mate. He's all in. He's got five aces in his hand. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, Kokrak for me has got again a big adjustment from the model in a positive way rather than Bryson in a negative way, where his stroke scan approach has just been off the charts compared to his previous years. He's a different golfer to what he was sort of eighteen months ago. CJ Cup for me proved that it was a top field. And he absolutely lit it out of his approach game, which could be massive. He's long enough that if it is super soft, that he can still carry it a hell of a long way. And then his approach play from there, I think uh, he's a 150 to one in a minute, and it seems absolutely mad. 150 to one is big, big numbers for somebody that won one of the last four or five events and had quite a few decent finishes in the lead up to it as well. So uh, I would say that's well worth this. That's Gary's 25 pence mega bet. <laughs> For any other tight Scotsman out there, Grunt, I'm looking at you, mate. We coffee lid on the beans. <laughs> oh, and, okay. Uh, <laughs> RIP, Grunt. Uh, gone but never forgotten. Um, <laughs> Jason Kokrak at 151. Anybody else at odds that sort of size that you fancy a sniff at? Not anything quite that big. Webb Simpson, for me, is just always an underrated player. He seems like everybody just forgets every week that he's one of the top players in the world these days. Because he's boring as fuck, mate. He just kicks it, about loving Jesus. That's it. Correct. But at 42 to 1, which is what he is at the minute, that is a daft, daft price. Yeah. Um, he's going off, you know, double the prices of everybody else that he's capable of playing against. Like Rory's obviously a third of his price, and that just seems silly. So 42 to 1 for Webb will definitely be in the book as well. What about the defending champion? Which is unbelievable to say, still the defending champion, but the 2019 <laughs> Masters champion, the big cat, Tiger, what are we thinking? See, it's tough for me, this. So this was my last event at Mustard, was Tiger's Masters, which was amazing for me, because for me, it was the first one I've ever really seen where I was a massive golf fan. So I, you know, I was in love with that week. That was exactly what I wanted to see. 
but unfortunately I do not make the man a bet this week. He's yeah. uh, 40 to one is, you know, he's shorter than Webb and at the minute Webb would beat him hands down on virtually any other course in the world. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. So it's yeah. a sentimental bet, isn't it? It is. It would have to be a very, very it's sentimental bet. It's like when bet. I put Celtic on to win the European Cup every year. I know it's not <laughs> going to happen, but it's a sentimental old bet. Start betting on to get out of the group instead, Gary, you might have more of a chance. <laughs> yeah, you get them get fucking into the group first. <laughs> Did you um did you win a lot of money or did you guys lose a lot of money on Tiger when he won the Masters? Was there a lot of money riding on him? I think it was about we won about a quarter of a million quid that week. Decent um, week. So yeah, it wasn't bad. It was uh yeah, it was a nice it was a nice one to go out on. I think it was my second or third biggest win there. So it was nice to have that. And then I was straight off to America for four weeks in between jobs. So I was just like, see you later, boys. I'm out of here, I'm done. Mic drop leave that is a mic drop okay and any other bets that are coming up any daft ones any head-to-heads any um little extra special ones that you've been taking a look at that you want us to be aware of and lump on to be honest mate there's not a lot of odds around for it at the minute so currently right now i've not got anything else for you other than outright bets because that's all there is odds available for um obviously for those of you that are listening you'll probably be in the discord chat in the betting section is where you'll find me most days and i will be chucking around lots of filth come masters week no free plugs mate no free plugs <laughs> to your own little corners of the internet <laughs> well, all the other threads are just filled with you talking about politics gary and nobody wants to hear about that so listen i retired <laughs> from politics a long time ago it's been a while since i've talked about that sort of stuff um, but no, Aaron, that's been absolutely fantastic. Um, it has shed a good bit of light on what the hell goes into your job, the crazy stakes that are often at play, and then looking ahead to the Masters next week. We'll have you on again sometime. You can be a resident betting expert, but for now, I'm going to let you go back to your family uh, where you should be in the first place on holiday with your newborn child and not on here uh, talking to an idiot in Scotland who doesn't know what lay means. <laughs> no worries bud i appreciate the uh i appreciate being being on join us as we walk down the 18th winning gary's he's on a victory lap at this point in time <laughs> okay and that was aaron st pierre talking us through the masters his betting tips his job in the gambling world and me being pretty much amazed uh that anybody would put that sort of money in his hands uh to bet on the behalf uh but no really good chat with Adam. how many bags of mccoy's crisps could he buy with that kind of money look that's what well, we, we did talk about that in the interview like he he was moving from tesco's own brand right up to palm bears uh and ending uh his personal and private career uh with bags of sensations I t- surrounding him and i'll he's, tell you and i tell, I'll tell you he wouldn't up. like that guy grunt there's an awful Luke, there's like two kitchens he could buy there. He could maybe do his, he could maybe do his bathroom. <laughs> Grunt gets a lot of flack. Grunt gets a lot of flack, right? But we did have a big discussion about crisps, and it always comes back to food. And uh, a man I've got a lot of time for, the very first ever um shut champion or Mackenzie champion, I do apologize, Mr. Alan Martin uh, from down in Presswick, claimed that the um, the best flavour of crisps is ready salted. And what uh, is he straight away. About? I lost an incredible amount of respect for the man uh, at that very point. Uh, and the only reason ready I'm pretending salted? to... Ready salted. And the only reason I want to pretend to be friends with him is because I know he's thinking about joining Turnberry next year. Uh, so if you do join Turnberry next year, Alan, great shout. Uh, yeah, well, not, we'll eat your ready I'll salted drive. crisps on the first tee when you're bringing us out and a member's guest, right? But ready salted? Seriously, ready salted is the, is, is the, is the flavour of crisps that people have given up on life. 
It's not even in the top five crisp flavours. And talking about top five, see that segue there, we're going to be talking about Crawford's top five, flock five, golf courses. If I'm honest, Gary, I'm a, I'm a little concerned about this. About your top five? Have you struggled? No, I've not struggled to get a top, a top five. I've always kind of known what my top five are. I'm, I'm worried about the one-sentence explanation. It's not something that I'm used to. Look, Rob's not here. Rob's, Rob's kind of like the dad that keeps us in check. We were worried if we were going to have enough content to talk about today. I had three lines written down, and we've nearly gone an hour at least. <laughs> I think all bets are off. We can talk your top five. That's because they've been talking about pornography for quite a bit of a car. We've been talking about pornography and Greg's. Mark has the edit button. He can do whatever he wants with it, but we'll try and get through this so we can all go to bed. So, Crawford, number five on your list. Bam Springs. I asked last week if I could do international golf clubs and you told me I could. So number five, Bam Springs. Oh, this is going to be the wankiest top five golf courses of all time, (laughs) isn't it? Right. Why Bam Springs at number five? Uh, So, not Bam Springs, Bam Springs. So Bam Springs in the town of Banff and the Rockies, the Canadian Rockies. So um, uh, it's one of these courses that um, uh, they've built, I don't know, 75 years ago or something it was built by the railway company so they built a trainway a train line out past Banff wanted to make it a springs town it was originally like a, a summer holiday town until it became a, a winter um, skiing town as well and they built this enormous like hotel there that looks like a German Bavarian castle uh, which is owned by the Fairmont now run by the Fairmont um, and it's quite famous the Fairmont Hotel so I went up there with my wife it's about six hours drive from my mum's house in Idaho um, up through the just most spectacular drive through the Rockies um, and past Lake Louise and then down into Banff and you stay in this hotel and then just outside the hotel like the hotel overlooks this piece of property that runs along the river there and uh, there's a golf course designed by is it Stanley Thompson big Canadian golf course architect that did a bunch of the big golf courses in, in the 20s and 30s um, and it's just so the golf course itself is it like a big wide long like championship American style, like course in like beautiful condition. And the course is really fun to play, but the bit about Bam Springs is just the view. Like you're in the middle of this canyon with these two like 15,000 foot high mountains either side of you. And every single direction you look is just something out of an oil painting. It's spectacular. They actually changed the routing around a few years ago when they built a new clubhouse. So, it used to start, the clubhouse was this German-style Schloss building, which was halfway up the hill down from the hotel. And then you'd tee off from a tee box that went over the Spree River. Um, and uh, you had to drive it from about 100 feet in the air over the river down onto the first fairway. And then you'd finish by 18, was at the bottom of the hill. And they changed it now, so you start in what used to be the fourth. Um, so that means it's the 15th is now that we have to like go up the hill to drive it over the back, which is a bit of a shame, but it used to, must have been this most spectacular way to start a golf course. They've got a, a, a par three there called um, the Devil's Cauldron, which they kind of built out of an old volcanic, you know, um, uh, or ice age um, spring thing there. And it's just kind of really fun. And, and just, it's, you know, I can't, you kind of have to go or see photographs of it to see what I'm talking about. It's spectacular. The only thing is, I was there in August. Fuck me, the mosquitoes were eating me alive. Like, you have to wear a pair of, like, trousers and, like, a full-on shirt down the end and the gloves. Otherwise, they're all over you. And they're not, they're, like, huge. like the size of 50 pence pieces. Just dive-bombing you the entire time. Um, there's a couple- So we've gone from 
a one-sentence description of your top five golf courses to uh, a real in-depth <laughs> discourse on the, the wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> it's turning into a shit David Attenborough. <laughs> I don't remember David Attenborough going, fuck me, skeeters are huge. The bastards are eating you alive. Right. I'd, What's number I'd four? More of it though, if your did. top favorite and ins- your top five favorite insects. No, number four on your golf courses. Uh, so here's another one. You're gonna love this. Uh, Wilshire Country Club in the middle of Los Angeles, uh, underneath the Hollywood Boulevard sign. <laughs> um, so Wilshire is an old course in the middle of LA, and I've played a couple of courses in LA, and they're all either crap or like super up the own horse, uh, and it costs a fortune to play there, and uh, they're really difficult. Um, Wiltshire's kind of the opposite. It's it's not that hard. They redid it a couple of years ago. Big wide fairways, lots of runoffs. Um, you can get a bit wayward with the driver and it doesn't kill you. And it's just a really nice, lovely round of golf. The clubhouse is lovely. They're super friendly. It's one of those American places where they take your clubs off you at the door and then whenever you finish, they take the clubs back again and they you get your shoes back and some guys cleaned your shoes and put them in a wee bag for you with Wiltshire Country Club on it. Um, and uh, the food is good. The course itself is 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 great. They play um, an LPGA championship there uh, every year in April. Um, so I mean, it has to be you know pretty good for that. Um, and uh, there's a couple of the holes where you know you're literally you're, you're playing down a fairway, and the green is framed by the Hollywood sign, which is just above it. You know, um, so Wiltshire is one of my favourite golf experiences, if and even though it's not the best golf course I've ever played. What the fuck is the top three going to be? And this is going to, I was going to say it's going to be difficult to talk, but who am I talking to here? <laughs> Go on, top three. What's the third? Well, no, the, the, it all gets a bit more simple from now, but uh, and straightforward. But the third is Hankley Common. So I played Hankley this year with a bunch of the guys um, the day after Sunningdale. So we'd, we'd done Sunningdale 36 holes a day. The next day we played Camberley Heath, just uh, down the road from Sunningdale. And then, um, then we played Hankley Common in the afternoon. And Hankley Common's not, it's not a golf course that, um, that people haven't heard of or that isn't already well known has been a great golf course. Uh, but a huge amount of golf and and the memories that I have around golf courses and whether I enjoy them is about the experience that I have there and about the people I'm playing with, how well I play, what the weather's like. And it was just a perfect afternoon. We got down there end of the afternoon in August. It was a beautiful, warm, sunny day. The sun was just golden. Everything was, was we played all through the magic hour. Um, and, uh, you realise when you play Hankey Common what actual Heathland is. So you, like Sunningdale and all those courses are all kind of bullshit manufactured, made up human Heathland. Hankey is like, you get, it's in the middle of this massive estate and there's just nothing there. And there's hundreds of yards between, between the fairways and you get off the fairway and it's just that actual Heathland. So it's like heather and lichen and moss and a thousand different grasses of all different colours of the rainbow that looked like it's come off an alien planet that I've never seen before. And you're wandering around looking for your ball, going, this is fucking mental, this place. And then on top of that, the, the par threes, there are some of the best par threes I've ever played. Um, and uh, you just feel like you're in a different planet in the middle of nowhere. But it was a great golf course, but a lot of it was about um, the people I played with. So Alistair was there. He took us out. He played it before. 
and I was there with Wayne. The Worcester Booster. The Worcester Booster, yeah. They were Wayne and with um, Andrew Ford was actually organised that day and his friend Scully and there's like about eight of us I think went out and it was just gorgeous, a beautiful experience and I'm definitely looking forward to going back. I've heard that it's a very different experience in the winter where it's, it's so open and it gets very bleak but I kind of want to see that as well and experience that. So yeah, Hankley Commons definitely up there. What I will say is, do you know in like Star Wars and Star Trek when they hit the button and they're going really fast in their spaceships and they hit the button and they go into warp speed. Mm-hmm. You went into warp speed woke there. Oh, did I? When you called Sunningdale bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wokest golf opinion I've ever heard. The the, the calling of Sunningdale as bullshit. <laughs> Let that speak for the record. It's it, it didn't say I didn't say it was, but I said that calling it Heathland is made up bullshit. It's just it's Disney, Disney Heathland. Um but yeah, you, you realise that when you go to Hankley's just like, it's, it's like playing golf on a different planet. Um, I loved it. It's like, uh, I, I really like, uh, I like Heathland, but I preferred their earlier stuff before they get big, you know. I prefer I preferred their first couple of albums. The real, the real, you wouldn't know it. It's real Heathland, you wouldn't know it. Have you heard the bootleg that she recorded in her, uh, in her, in her bedroom before she yeah. went, got his record deal? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the Heathland beat B-sides. Yeah. Number two. Number two is, uh, this one surprised you very much, Royal County Dam. So um, two big courses where I come from the Northern Ireland, Walpole Rush, Royal County Dam, played both of them. I talked last week with Rob about Walpole Rush. It was his favourite golf course. It is spectacular. I had a fantastic day there with Rob. Um, but this is, but Royal County Dam I prefer, mainly out of just pure prejudice. So I am from County Dam. Is there not a nightclub story from Royal County Dam? Is there not a story about a nightclub? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> No, uh, there's a story. Of- we'll get into that another time. Back to Royal County Down. Yeah, so I'm from North Down. Uh, Royal County Down is is the golf club that, that I kind of identify with in Northern Ireland. Um, and it's not a bad one to identify with. It is amongst you know the best golf courses in the world, probably top three in the world. Everyone says that. Uh, the front nine there is otherworldly. Um, again, like Hankley Common, it's just beautiful. I, I, I once described playing golf in Royal County Down um, as like playing golf in a Tolkien novel. Um, it's all wispy fairlight fairways and, and mountains and you can't half expect, you know, trolls and elves to come wandering past in a little caravan whenever you're going across some of the fairways. Uh, whereas Whirlpool Rush is a bit more war and peace. It's all brutal weather and wind and kind of craziness. Um, but I think one of the things that makes Royal County Down really interesting, well, two things. First of all, they have these huge dunes and lots of gorse. The, the front nine in particular weeds winds its way around. So you, you end up a lot of, you know, blind drives, a lot of tea boxes on top of dunes, uh, fairways on dunes uh, and are, in, are in the middle of them, uh, not being able to see around you very much. You're kind of out on your own in the middle of nowhere. But I think the thing that makes Royal County Down so special is that it's very beautiful and very photogenic because it's next to the mountains. So most lynx land um, is on flat areas of the country. Like you don't tend to have mountains next to this next to that sand that we make lynx golf courses on, except in one or two places. And one of them is Royal County Down. So you have Sleeve Donard, which is the mountain behind Newcastle, which kind of frames all of those golf holes. So you're not just looking at the dunes, it's the mountains behind it. Um, so it's, it's just the most beautiful place. Even when the weather is not bad, not great, you can't play in it thinking, God, this is just amazing. You know, it's the place that I'm, I would love to be a member of most in the world. And I'm trying to make that happen. It's, it's a long-term plan and I don't know how it'll go, but that's my plan is at some point being a member there. Um, 
And that sounded very much like a number one to me. So this one is going to be a fucking belter. I can feel it. What's at the top of the list? Uh, Pliskill, Brancaster, Royal West Norfolk. Um, so I played there a while ago, a couple of years ago, 2016 for the first time, and I'd heard lots of stories about Brancaster. Um, and it's one of those golf courses that a lot of people don't like. It can get very windy and very brutal. Um, some people in particular Sean in the group, uh, says that it's not a Lynx golf course because the tide comes in on the 8th and ninth hole and you have to play over the water onto a tight piece of land. And then over the water again... Is that again, big uh, Sean Arbel that was uh, no. taking Rob to task last week as well? <laughs> no, not big Sean. It was uh, Sean Martin, who's um, uh, he's a member of Fulford Heath and Dale and Hunter Sorry, Cump. Then. Um, but yeah, I'll deal with that next week when Rob's back. Don't you worry. Yeah. I'll deal with that, Rob. So yeah, we, we, we got. You've not died in vain. <laughs> um, but Brancaster is. Uh, what's interesting about it is that as a club, it's everything that I normally don't like about golf. So it's a place that's just full of old weird traditions that they refuse to change or, or move away from, and I normally that really gets on my nerves and, and drives me mad. And I'm like, why you, why you would, I'd sort of stick into these ridiculous old fashioned traditions that don't mean anything. But for some reason at Brancaster, it just works. It's not, you know, it, it's so, but, it, but even then it's so they've never had a, um, a dress code at Brancaster ever. It's largely been assumed that gentlemen members of Brancaster know how to dress and don't need to be told. Um, but also because it's a bit of a holiday place up there. So this Brancaster Beach is quite popular. So what would happen is that during the summer, a guy who's a member might be on the beach with his family wearing a pair of shorts to go for a swim and he'll nip into the club to have a piece of cake and a, and a cup of tea and to play some cards with the boys um, in the smoke room. And that was fine. Like Nobody ever used to kick up a fuss about it. Um, and um, it's a kind of brutal golf course. It's lots. It has lots of sleepers, um, you know, holding up bunkers and things which some people can't stand but the reason they do it there is that it's it's a very fragile piece of earth so the, the turf there is only about an inch thick and underneath it's very very fine sand so you have to have the sleepers otherwise the sand just falls down um and uh like it's it kind of clings to life so in 2012 i had a really big storm and um uh, uh like on a, on a really high tide and the entire golf course ended up six feet underwater um and they lost all their machinery what? yeah so they have like a million pound fund constantly in the bank just to pay for erosion and the problems from the tide coming in. If you if you go there at the wrong time of the day when the tide is high, the tide actually cuts off the road to the mainland from um, from the clubhouse, so you can get stuck at the clubhouse for two hours until the tide comes in and goes out. It's a great. I bet that's absolute bullshit, and it's a great excuse to say to the wife, look. <laughs> Sorry, I had to play another nine because the tide came in and there was no route back to the mainland. Yeah, well, I was I mean, stranded it, it, on a fucking desert island of golf. Yeah, on its absolute worst kind of day, it's about a foot deep. So if you had like a decent range of it, which you know, most of the members of Brancaster do have, uh, you could easily drive through it as long as you give it a bit of a wash, you get the salt off. But it, yeah, it, it's but it's you know, that's famous for that you can get stuck out there and um but it's a place where it feels like you've just gone back and you've jumped in a time machine and gone back in time and you're just sitting in Wardy in England. Um, and uh, playing golf with a bunch of of, um, of kind of people, random people. Just you know, we were talking earlier about sometimes it's important to just have a bit of fun and to stop getting too serious about chasing a score. 
and Brian yep. Castle's a bit like that. In the main room, they have a machine that tells you what the wind speed is. It's, it's recording the wind speed on like at a machine on the roof, and then it tells you the readout. And, the, and it's because you know people need to know how fast the wind is blowing before you go out. And it's the kind of place where you go out and you're not trying to to beat your handicap. You're just trying to beat whatever your playing partner is playing because an eight's going to be better than a nine. And in Brancaster, eights and nines are what you often have because it's a fifty mile an hour wind, and nobody cares. You just aren't having the crack with the boys, and so then it's like a a backyard playground. So I that I, was golf, wasn't it? That was that was golf over here. Yeah, you know, for for centuries and centuries. Obviously, America is very much medal play, score play, even though there's gimmies and breakfast balls and all that carry on. But over here, it's not playing for par or not playing for handicaps or scores. It's you go out with a mate and you want to beat each other. Yeah. You want whatever, whoever you're out with, whether it's double, single, stable for whatever, whoever you're out with, whatever the weather, whatever the wind, you want to just play each other, beat each other, win, have a drink, steak pie, sausage roll, Greg's, and a laugh about it. I don't know about the Greg's thing. I haven't never had one, but um, uh, but the rest You've of it sounds alright. Uh, the um, yeah, but like so, we were in Cleve last week and playing in an absolute hurricane, and it was the same thing. It was like you know, we we didn't we had a great time just playing a bit of match play because we weren't trying to hit pars. We were just trying to hit less shots than the opposition had, which often less was than a, the guy beside you. Yeah, which was often eight or nine or ten. So it's you know, and uh, that's always the most fun that I have in a golf course. There you go, it's my top five. But yeah, that was a great top five um, by Crawford. It's going to be very, very difficult to talk, especially when I come on next week and just say Royal Melbourne five times in a row. Um, <laughs> well, but once... hang on. Gary, have you played Royal Melbourne? I've, I've, we'll talk about it next week, okay? I don't want to get into it just I now. I didn't, um, you've kept that very we'll, quiet, Gary. I didn't know that. We'll, we'll broach the subject next week. Uh, and then after I've done mine, we open it up to you guys, the flockers. So if anybody wants to come on and do the flock five, uh, we'll do that with you. You can come on if you've got a, a job in golf, work in golf, or anything kind of interesting going on golf-wise in your life. You can come on, talk to us for five, ten minutes, and then we'll do your flock five as well. We'll open the floor up to you guys. But I think we've covered you know, most important topics going on in the world today. I can't think of anything really exciting happening this week uh, out with beans, pornography, Greg's and what your favourite golf courses are so unless you've got anything exciting to bring up at the moment Crawford I think that'll wrap us up for week number three and hope we can both just hope to God that Rob comes back next week and keeps us in some sort of order yeah that's all good for me I've, I've got an important date with um uh with some <laughs> some interesting websites that I'm gonna go and look at oh for fuck's sake right hopefully this will be it because I'm gagging for a beer. There we go, eh? That was something. That was something. Crawford was laying that pornography chat on quite thick there. Um, I'm not going to lie, I felt, I, I felt quite uncomfortable at points eh, of that conversation, but here we are. Uh, we made it through another episode, guys. Uh, once again, really appreciate you listening. I do hope you've enjoyed it. hope it's brought some much-needed light relief to the impending lockdown in the four weeks ahead of us. Um, on a serious note, let's all stick together, guys. Let's keep each other's hopes and spirits up. Maybe next week we'll, we'll talk a little more uh, about that and how we're going to do that. We'll maybe look at the kind of mental health aspects of the RACDG group uh, and how we can make life a little bit better for each other. But this is definitely not the episode to um, <laughs> make serious statements about mental health when uh, we're uh, knee-deep in a chat about porno and sausage rolls uh, but yeah feedback 
appreciated as always please let us know what you thought about it next week hopefully rob will be back to keep everything a little bit more on track but do have a fantastic week and we will speak to you all very soon bye bye